Father, thank you that many of us can sing that this morning from our hearts. We know it is well between you and us because of Christ. He shed his own blood for our souls. He purchased our souls forever so that our souls are safe. We could never pay for that, but Jesus did. And so we thank you that you have saved our souls. Thank you that you preserve our souls. You sustain us in faith day after day in spite of the attacks of the evil one and the world, the flesh, and the devil all working against us and fighting against us. Lord, you preserve us to the end. And Lord, in trials, Lord, you uphold us. You are the God who does all things well. Lord, some days it's a struggle to believe it's well with our soul. It doesn't feel like it. Some days we feel like Jacob and say, all these things are against me. And yet we know (laughs) that you are causing all things, including the troubles and trials and afflictions to work together for our good if we love you and are called according to your purpose. So we want to rest our souls in you this morning. And I pray for any souls that are just troubled this morning. You you said, let not your heart, let not your soul be troubled. Believe in me, believe also in God. And Lord, there's maybe some that just are unconcerned about their souls or just not sure where their souls are at with you. Would you do the miracle that you came to do for many of us? Lord, we saw in Sunday school that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. We are lost. We don't know how to find you. We're lost and can't rescue ourselves. And so we are completely dependent on Jesus to do all of that. So I pray that you'd be pleased to honor your great name, your great mercy this morning in bringing someone to yourself. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Even the world recognizes the value of belonging to something bigger than yourself. For example, on the Marines' website, it says, U.S. Marines are a family bound by a single purpose, True purpose comes from knowing you're a part of something bigger than yourself and a sense of belonging that's only found among those who share in a common cause. Our text for today reminds us that if we are believers, we have been made a part of something much bigger than ourselves and share in a common purpose with all other believers. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
So first the Apostle Peter describes who we are. He starts off, but, in contrast to the unbelievers that were described in verse 7 and 8, this is who you are. And the you there is a plural pronoun letting us know that these things that we're about to read are true for all who believe in Jesus. This is how God sees everyone who has been born again into his family. These are objective realities about our identity that we share in common with all others who have experienced salvation in Christ. So first we are a chosen race. Race is simply belonging to a family descended from a common ancestor. So for example, we are all part of the human race. Acts 17 says, He made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So we have a common ancestor, Adam. We're all part of the human race. Those who are physically descended from Abraham, the Jews, were God's chosen people. So in Deuteronomy 7, 6, God says, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So there's all these other nations, all these other people groups. God chose those descended from Abraham to be his chosen people. But now all believers, Jewish or Gentile, are included in God's chosen race. Go to Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 15. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Paul's been addressing Gentiles. That's people who are from a non-Jewish ethnic background. Most of us. Tells us to remember what we used to be. And then he says in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So God's plan was not to make Gentiles into Jews or to make Jews into Gentiles, but to make both Jews and Gentiles into one new man, one new race, what the early church called the third race. So there was the Jewish race, there were non-Jewish race, and then now there's this third thing, this third race called Christians. Colossians 3.11 says about that. There is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Second, we are a royal priesthood. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word priest? And maybe you think of Father so-and-so at the Catholic Church. 
Or maybe you think of priests in the Old Testament offering up sacrifices in the temple. If you've been reading Hebrews lately, I know some of the ladies are reading that on Tuesday nights. You're thinking Jesus is our great high priest. But you might not have thought when you heard the word priest, that's one of the terms that the New Testament uses to describe my role and my calling as a Christian. And yet that's what we discover in verses like Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5 and 6. From Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. Whether you knew that or not, whether you feel that way or not, that's what Jesus has already done. Or in chapter 5, verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. So one of the purposes of redemption, of being bought by Jesus' blood, is to be a priest. And then you might remember from two weeks ago when we looked at 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. So let's reread those. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So before, only ethnically Jewish people who are from the tribe of Levi could be part of the priesthood. But now all believers are participants in this priesthood. And instead of offering animal sacrifices, which could never take away sin, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. And here are some of the Verses explain what kind of sacrifice we're called to make. So go to Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So that therefore says, in light of the mercies of God that I've been talking about for 11 chapters in this book of Romans, if you've experienced that saving, undeserved mercy, here is an appropriate response. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Which is a total commitment to all that we are and all that we have 
to God. All of my life devoted to God and living for his glory. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So this body of mine and yours doesn't belong to you anymore. It's already been bought and paid for by Jesus, and it's to be offered to his service. Total devotion of everything you do with your body to him. The hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated. Which means set apart, dedicated to thee. And then there's verses about take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my intellect. And then one of the verses says, take myself and I will be ever, always, only for thee. That's what Romans 12.1 is talking about. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. It's one of the spiritual sacrifices we make as priests. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him then, him is referring to Jesus. Through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So all believers as part of a royal priesthood are called to offer up a sacrifice of praise. Psalm 50, God says, He who offers a sacrifice of praise honors me, or he who offers praise glorifies me. So that's one of the things we're doing as we come and sing songs honoring God, as we thank God for all he has done for us in Christ, we're offering up spiritual sacrifices. That's part of our calling as a royal priesthood. And then the very next verse in Hebrews, if you're still in Hebrews 13, look at verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. Why? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So doing good and sharing, helping others in practical ways, meeting other people's needs is not only a blessing to the person on the receiving end of those kinds of acts of kindness. It is. And it's not only a blessing to us because Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus said that in Acts 20, 35. We're told to remember that he said that, in fact. But they are also spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God and part of fulfilling our role as priests. And then one last one for now, Philippians 4, 18. Philippians 4, 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What did they send him? They sent him some money. But he sees it as something much bigger than just money. And so when we give financially to the church or other ministries, it's not just about paying the bills or supporting local or global ministries. It's bigger than that. 
It is one of the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God as part of the royal priesthood that we belong to. Next, back in 1 Peter 2.9, we are a holy nation. Nation in the New Testament is simply the word ethnos. Gives us the word ethnic. And an ethnic group is a group of people who share certain distinguishing characteristics. So, for example, if you meet a man named Oli, who's tall, blonde, blue eyes, and has a very distinctive accent, you might reasonably guess that he's part of a certain ethnic group. And Peter is saying that all believers are now part of a group of people who share certain distinguishing characteristics. What distinctive characteristics do all Christians share? Well, certainly not physical traits, because this nation is made up of all the nations. In Revelation 7, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one can count from every nation, every ethnic group. All tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. So that's not what's going to make us different. It's physical traits or the same. So what is the distinguishing characteristic that will identify us as belonging to this group? And the answer is holiness. To be a holy nation is to be a group of people characterized by holiness. We saw this back in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, if you want to look at that again. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. To be holy is to be set apart. To be set apart from sin and set apart to God. To be set apart more and more from what we used to be before we knew Christ. And set apart more and more to become like Christ in every area of our life. So people should be able to tell, we belong to God's family. We belong to God's people group by the holiness of our lives. Fourth, we are a people for God's own Possession. We'll look at verse 10 a little bit more next week. But he says, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We're now God's very own people. We belong to him. We're his. And again, in Titus, it tells us that was one of the purposes of the cross. Titus 2 14, let's start in 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. So not only forgive the evil deeds, but create a people for himself that are zealous in good deeds. Or it's one of the blessings of the new covenant that was purchased by the blood of Christ. We took the Lord's Supper on Good Friday. We say this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Bought with my blood. One of those new covenant promises from Jeremiah 31, quoted in Hebrews 8, is this. This is the covenant I will make with 
them after those days. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that's, of course, one of the choice chief blessings of heaven. Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So don't underestimate this precious privilege of belonging to God's own people. He's with us. He's for us. He's our God. We're his people. So that's God's description of who we are. This morning, if you're a believer, we're not only individuals who have a personal relationship with Christ. That's true, and that's precious, and we want to grow in that. But don't get so focused on yourself, and don't be just this American individualist that just thinks it's all me, and forget we're part of something much bigger than ourselves, namely the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the people of God. Well, verse 9 only reminds us of our shared identity with all other believers, reminds us of our common purpose. So 1 Peter 2.9 says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim or show forth means to make something known clearly and forcefully, to spread a message publicly. So Bob Coughlin writes this, to proclaim is to announce something officially or publicly. We aren't keeping a secret. We want others to hear. It also means declaring something important with the appropriate degree of emphasis. We're saying this really matters to me and to you and to everyone. Biblical worship involves proclamation and leads to proclaiming God's truth with our lives. We're doing more than having a worship experience. We're declaring why God is so great, what he has accomplished, and all that he has promised. So everybody has a message they're proclaiming. The world proclaims the message, this life is all there is, this is your only shot at happiness. If you're old enough to remember the Slits commercial, so grab for all the gusto you can. And some people announce in various ways, I'm the most important person in the room, or I'm smarter than everybody else, or I'm trendier than everybody else. Everybody's got a message they're proclaiming. What message are Christians called to proclaim? We're called to proclaim the excellencies, the outstanding qualities that set God above all others that make him worthy of honor and praise. So Jerry Bridges writes this, The glory of God is the sum of all his infinite excellence, and praiseworthiness set forth in display. To glorify God is, first of all, to respond properly to this display by ascribing to him the honor and adoration due him because of his excellence. We call this worship. The second way we glorify God is by reflecting his glory to those around us in the way we live our daily lives. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
We do all things for God's glory when the excellence of God's attributes is made to shine forth by our actions so that men may see it. So two ways of proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. One is worship, ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name, and then living a distinctive life that calls attention to the excellencies of God. We're to call attention to God's mercy and calling us out of our darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous means causing wonder or astonishing. So we all start out in spiritual darkness. A term the Bible uses to describe the ideas of lostness, unbelief, ignorance of truth, blindness to ultimate realities, and the endless misery of being separated from God. It's an awful place to be. In Sunday school this morning, Bob prayed as far as those stumbling around in the darkness. We were just stumbling around in life. We didn't have a clue. If we don't know the creator, if we don't have a relationship with God, we're just blind. We're, we're in the dark. This thick, heavy darkness. But... And, you know, this is something we think, should think about more often. God could have left us in our darkness. Do you, do you ever think of that? God didn't owe us a rescue from our darkness. He could have justly, righteously left us where we wanted to be. Because John 3 says we love darkness. We weren't in any big hurry to get out of our darkness. We loved it. He could have let us... Stay there forever. But in his sovereign mercy, he effectually called us out of our spiritual darkness into his marvelous light. And so Colossians 1, Paul talks about joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He did that. He did that. We didn't contribute to that at all. It was sheer, free, undeserved mercy. And Peter reminds us that if we have experienced that mercy, if we've experienced that miracle of being rescued out of darkness and being brought into God's light, our purpose now and forever is to gladly proclaim the praises of the one who saved us. Well, as we close... Do you know that you are part of God's people? Are you sure you belong to him and that he will recognize you as one of his own on the last day? If God is convicting you, acknowledge, I don't have a relationship with God and it's because of my sin. I have been living without God. I've left him out of my life. I'm just doing my own thing. I don't have a relationship with him. I've turned my back on him and Isaiah 59:2 says your sins have made a separation between you and your God there's this gap there's this barrier between us and I can't qualify myself to be part of God's people by anything I can do my religious activities like going to church or good deeds like helping other people don't earn any points with God it's not a merit system and you get points for doing good things and points taken away for bad things. 
It's not how it works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. It's free. It's not of works. Not what you can work for or do, lest anyone should boast. So I trust in Christ alone to rescue me from sin and bring me into God's family. I believe his death on the cross is the only way the barrier of my sin could ever be removed. I can't take away my sin by anything I can do. Only the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that we talked about on Good Friday could wash away my sin and and remove that barrier between God and myself. And then, I believe his resurrection from the dead. We celebrated that last Sunday, last last week was Easter. Remember the verse that Peter said, it was impossible for the power of death to hold him. Impossible for Jesus to stay dead because he had accomplished the mission God had sent him to do, to buy us back, to redeem us, and to make us a people for himself. John 1.12 puts it this way, as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe on his name. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you that many of us can say we are in your family, we're part of your people. You've included us in your saving purposes. We belong to you forever. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, I pray that you would work in us to will and to do your good pleasure, that we would gladly proclaim who you are and what you've done in our lives. By our worship together on Sundays, by our worship privately in our quiet times or driving in the car, by the way we live our lives in front of unbelievers, that everything we do would honor you and point to you. And I pray again for anyone who's still in darkness. Only you can change a heart that loves darkness and wants to love light. So I pray that you would do that miracle that you've done for so many of us. Cause them to be born again. Cause them to come to life. Cause them to come to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.